Hello, welcome to the Stubborn Tortoise Podcast. I'm Donna Pazdera. So today's episode is about respecting the distance. And what I mean by that is that just because you sign up for a race doesn't necessarily mean you should actually do it if you have not trained properly. Now, I know there are a couple of schools of thought on this, and I just tend to be of the school of thought that you need to respect the distance and train for it properly instead of just going out there and winging it and gutting it out, and which is sort of weird for me because I, I like to wing a lot of things in my life because that's just kind of how I roll. But when it comes to the running, I, I really want to try to make sure that my body is prepared, especially after having been injured a few times. And, you know, I, that that's, I had plantar fasciitis uh, a couple of years ago, and that was probably the worst injury I've had in a long time. And I had it in one foot, then it went away, and then it went into the other foot, and I was just miserable. So, I mean, this took about a year to get rid of, and so I I had this real fear of, of triggering that again, and so I just didn't want to, you know, mess myself up. Over the weekend, I made a, an executive decision to drop to the 25K for the El Taco Loco race, which is on the 26th, and I was training for the 50K and, and had every intention of, of doing it properly. And I mean, I had a group and we were, I did most of the runs, um, but it seemed like some of my mileage was missing. And and again, I'm teaching those high intensity interval classes uh, on a bike. And so that takes up some of my time. And I mean, I, I can count it toward training, but it's not really time on my feet and it's not really that kind of um effort. So I, I feel like it's it's additional cross training, but I don't really want to count it toward my mileage. And, and so for a while, I was sort of mentally doing that. And last week, when we went out to Land Heritage, and we were supposed to get in a 20 miler and ended up with 14, I was just like, you know, this is just not working for me. And then I, I tried to shake it off. And I started off really well this week, this past week. And I, you know, I did like a four miler instead of a three miler, you know, in the, in the middle of the week, but then my work schedule got in the way and the other, my teaching and, you know, just other stuff, um, got in the way and I just didn't have any, that much mileage in for the week. And then I went to, um, Austin city limits music festival on Saturday and, didn't get my long run in then. And so I tried to do it yesterday. I know this sounds like a really boring story, but it's, I'm trying to lead up to what, how my, how my mind works. And, um, yeah, so I, I was all set to do about 14 yesterday, but I was with this group of people and they were all doing less mileage and I had quite a bit more to do after they finished. And that's sort of hard for me. And, um, I just thought, you know what, there's no reason to try to gut it out because, you know, you're not ready. You haven't even done a 20 miler, you know, and so I'm thinking to myself and in my mind, you know, you need, you know, a handful of 20 milers or at least, you know, decent long runs before you should be tackling a 50k. And I've done enough of them to know I hadn't. And some of it was just self-inflicted scheduling and whatnot. So anyway, suffice it to say, I, I, I have dropped down to that and I feel pretty good about my decision. Um, I just feel bad because uh, I was going to run the race with a friend. She's still going to do the 50K and she admits she doesn't feel as trained for it as well. But she already did a 50K this summer and she's been getting in better mileage than I have. And so I feel like she's, she's, she's going to be okay. You know, and in fact, I even offered to pace her for like the last five miles. Um, after I finish, I, it would be nice to bring her in. We might do that. Anyway, 
So it's, it is sort of humbling and you have to just learn to suck it up and go, okay, I'm, I'm not ready for this and don't injure yourself. Okay. And, you know, and as I say, some people don't mind that they, they take it on. Give me that challenge. (laughs) I ain't that guy. So anyway, more power to you. So anyway, this one is leading up to something I've talked about in the past, uh, the Snowdrop 55-hour race and relay. This was my first attempt at a 100-miler and probably my only attempt, to be honest with you. Um, Spoiler alert, I did not finish. But there's an interesting story along the way, so let's get into it. Um, So yeah, last year over the holidays, I kind of felt sorry for my family members because my impending attempt at covering 100 miles made me the interesting party guest. There were the inevitable questions. Yes, you get to eat. Yeah, you can sleep. Yeah, you can walk some of it. But they had to hear it over and over. And I was sort of embarrassed because I wasn't even sure I could do it, but I was certainly going to try. And this particular event, the Snowdrop Ultra 55-hour race and relay, it's a little different for most 100-mile plus races. First, it's a fundraiser for children's cancer research and a college fund for childhood cancer patients and survivors. Second, you get 55 hours to make your way around a 0.69 mile loop as many times as you can or want. Third, it attracts people of all ages and abilities, and the generous time cutoff allows average Janes and Joes to rest for a while and then get back out there. And finally, it's held on New Year's weekend, so it pretty much ensures that you're going to ring in the New Year in a really different way than you're used to. And, of course, I got talked into it by Orly, who is one of my favorite running companions. He completed the 100-miler in 2017 with his wife, Kathy, and they were returning for the 2018 event. And two of my other friends, Sarisa and Tanya, also wanted in. And so then, not wanting to be left out, I agreed, yeah, why not? Figured I was going to circle a course 145 times. I might as well do it with some friends. And the sign-up day was in April. And it was a nail-biter. You could start registering at noon on a Tuesday. And fortunately, I was between classes and had some time to battle with the hundreds of people vying for a spot. And then we all texted each other, my friends and I, uh, throughout the process to see who got in. And it was a good thing because the race sold out in under an hour. And then each of us dealt with various challenges. The other four have kids and families. Me, I bought a house for the first time in August. And I did this alone and it was freaking terrifying. And the following month, I finally passed my certification as a Les Mills Sprint Instructor. And a month before the snowdrop sign-up, I decided to teach group fitness again after a year or so hiatus. And the journey was a challenge because I needed to pass a video assessment, which took me a few tries. And at one point, I was so frustrated with my challenges that I called the Les Mills Assessment Office and said, I just didn't think I could do it at this time. And the coordinator persuaded me to give it one more go. I was so close. And then I passed. But all of this meant that my training was suffering in some ways. I needed to keep practicing the bike workout so I could pass. Long runs were a struggle without a group, and because I was training for something different than most of my friends, I often ran alone. Races, 25 miles, 50K, 50 miles, spaced a few weeks apart, served as my longest training runs. The weather was cool and damp as we all took off at 7 a.m. on December 31st at Buffalo Run Park, just outside of Houston. 
I ran with my folks for the first few miles and then I dialed it back for fear of burning out. And surprisingly, I didn't find the familiarity with the course to be that monotonous. There were always different people around and the relay runners were zipping by. And just past the start finish was a table full of water jugs and tailwind and on an adjacent table, snacks. I especially enjoyed the hot dogs for the first couple of laps. Portable toilets were just on the other side. And past all of that were 10 crosses and a star of David marking the number of children who would die from cancer each hour for the duration of the race. And if that wasn't enough to choke you up, there were signs with photos of babies and children who succumbed to the disease, and I'll admit to crying a few times. And as you round the corner of the lake, there was an incessant barking of dogs from a nearby shelter. I felt sorry for them as they probably were experiencing all kinds of new sounds and smells. And then after that, you encountered the beginning of the tent city, where participants set up tents, shelters, and whatever they needed for the duration. One shelter featured New England-style sheer plastic windows, not really, uh, along with a heater and a microwave. Boy, that was civilized. Our shelter, which was shared with South Texas Run Strong's team, was a little more bare bones, camping chairs, a cot, and a clothesline to hang the wet clothes on. I can't remember when it began, but Tanya began complaining about her IT band and knee hurting, and she was limping, and the medics encouraged her to stop by the tent on her next loop. And I was I started to get worried about her ability to finish, and she had a long ways to go. But a little while later, she returned, walking funny, but saying that she felt better. And Coach Basilio Mendoza, the captain of the South Texas Run Strong team, offered to use some of his Mexican volcanic oil on her. My calves were feeling tight, and I became extra worried about my old plantar fasciitis flaring up. I never want to go through that pain again. And I asked Coach if he'd mind working on my calves, and he obliged me. And one of my Houston area acquaintances, Doug Spence, showed up in support off and on throughout the race. He was forever giving me weather updates, just like a trail-running Willard Scott. <laughs> I'd never met him in person, but he sent me a message asking me if I needed a cure for delirium. And then a few moments later, there was this dude in a hat with a duck on it. And when he pulled the chin strap, the duck's wings moved. Oh, hey, it's you! We chatted a little, and then I got back into the race. It was sort of weird and fun to have someone show up for a bit and then encourage me. I tried to drink a few sips of water each time I passed the water table. I knew from pacing Orly and Sarisa that it's easy to fall behind on hydration, especially in cool weather. And I felt like I was peeing every other loop. And on top of that, I was getting tired of eating. I felt like a cow. In addition to snacks, we were offered hot meals at mealtime. And this, this was fun for the first few meals. And when pizza was announced on Sunday evening, I became less than enthused. Orly, on the other hand, who was walking with me, tore off at the mention of Papa John's pizza. It was hilarious. I half-heartedly ate a slice washed down with the Michelobo Ultra, a sponsor. And early on Sunday night, organizers encouraged us to light an electric votive candle inside a tent in memory of someone who was important or who had died from cancer. And as someone who lost both of my parents fairly young, I lighted one. Afterward, I began sobbing. A couple of ladies hugged me. I don't know if I can do this, I bawled. And at that point, 13 and a half hours in, everything hurt. I was terrified of re-injuring myself, and I didn't want to gut it out only to put myself out of commission for a few months, and I was mad at myself because it was taking seemingly forever to get to the 50-mile mark. And I toughed it out for a few more miles. I stopped in the tent and saw Coach, and I explained what was happening. I don't think I can do this. I may just shoot for 100K, which is 62 miles, I told him. 
Well, you have a crisp walking pace. Keep it up, he said. I caught up with Cerisa and Tanya, and Tanya was moving more like a penguin, kind of side to side. And I mentioned my pains, and I knew I wasn't unique, but I was scared. Cerisa suggested stopping by the medic tent to get stretched and maybe a massage. I swung in and saw Becky Spaulding, the on-duty nurse, whom I've known since I tore open my knee at Cactus Rose several years ago. And a woman went through some stretches with me, which helped. Then Becky came by and explained that my feet were starting to hurt. And maybe I was just being really sensitive about the PF. And then I said, well, what if I just do 100K? At that point, I was just over in over 50 miles and didn't want to stop there. Well, how long do you think it'll take you to finish 12 miles? I told her I had no idea. She mentioned that because I'm a seasoned runner and I know my body, that maybe I should think about sleeping for a few hours and then return in the morning. And finish the 100 miles, I asked, sort of hopefully. No, the 100K. If you wanted to finish the 100 miles, we would be having a different conversation. And it's not unusual for participants to take a few hours off and sleep. Orly, Kathy, and Cerisa slept in the tent. Me? I drove back to the hotel and got in three decent hours. And when I returned to the course at 7 a.m., I ran into Tanya and I explained what had happened. She was a little irritable and pointed out a woman nearby who'd been told a similar story by Spalding, but she was still trucking on. Normally, I could run 12 miles in about two and a half hours. At most, it took me more than four. And I never thought I would finally get to the loop where I hit 62 miles. It drove me crazy. Later in the day, I was just simply relieved to be done. I was proud of my 100K and really didn't care if I got that sweet belt buckle for the 100-mile finishers. And again, I was looking at the bigger picture, mainly out of concern for what led up to my injuries a couple of years ago. In the late evening, Cerisa, Kathy, and Orly had already gotten their 100, and Cerisa continued on in hopes of getting 150 miles, and she also wanted to see Tanya finish. Around 11 p.m., Cerisa enlisted me, dressed in jeans, clogs, and a long sleeve shirt, to walk with Tanya for a few laps. I was game. And at this point, Tanya was moving super slow and very penguin-like, and I feared it was going to take too long. She had a flight to Wyoming at 8.45 a.m., and I had to drive her to the airport. At midnight, we rang in 2019, watching fireworks from afar and feeling less than excited. She made primal noises when I asked her to step it up. I totally understood having paced people in the past. It was well after 1 a.m. when she hit the 144th lap. Participants get to ring a purple bell, signifying their final lap. The announcer asked me a few questions about her so he could offer meaningful finish line commentary, and Cerise and I held the tape as she crossed, and then she kept going. I ended up being Tanya's family as they presented her with the buckle. I was really okay with just getting 67 miles, which 62 of which were official. And I discovered that I may not be cut out to do 100 miles. And if I do it again, I'll probably try it on a more traditional course because that seems to suit me better. And I also enjoy helping my friends reach their goals, which makes me a decent pacer, I think. This year, I'm going to return as part of a relay team, and I'm good with that. So, yeah, I I can't say that this is good for everybody. This is just how I feel or how I work. And, um, and, I, and like I say, I'm, I'm good with my decision about dropping. Um, it is sort of embarrassing that, it, you know, it, it took me this long to figure that out. But I think uh, in the end, I'm, I'm going to, my body will probably thank me for not beating it up, you know, to the point of injuring myself. So that's pretty much what I have got this week. I hope you guys have a great week and I'll see you next time.